I'm Tyler J. Thomas, along with Jeff Moss, Tim Coleman, and the lovely Chris Huffstetler. We will discuss the ins and outs of starting a locksmith business. This is The Three Tumblers. Today's guest is a good friend of mine and one I talk to on a literal daily basis. Unlike all of my other friends where we either apprenticed or were born into it, he actually got started from the ground up. Now, I've never asked his full story, so here's my chance. Chris, uh, why in the hell did you pick locksmithing and how in the hell did you get started in locksmithing? Well, first of all, thanks for having me on, Tyler, and that is a fantastic question. And yeah, unlike a lot of folks, I didn't exactly uh, become a locksmith because it was in my lineage or because I'd worked for one. I kind of stumbled into the industry. Um, when I was about 16 years old, I had a, a long, courageous journey working as an arcade mechanic technician. So I fixed arcade games and pinball machines and so I had a, a nice long history of working with small components and some soldering and things like that and then I went to uh started going through college and then I eventually was working towards a mechanical engineering degree I, I fell in love and moved to Spokane Washington where I uh, became a regional project manager for a big box uh, retailer traveling all over the northwest and having fun building remodeling rearranging stores and a buddy of mine was a locksmith and he um, needed some help because he was completely overwhelmed with work and he knew my history, my background. And then that led to taking that on as a little bit more part-time, which turned into me taking over all his contracts, which turned into my own business. Pretty cool. That ruins my second, second point. <laughs> I like uh, yeah, well, thank you. Uh, so out of the gate, you had, when you started your business, you had at least some business already established something. It wasn't like you were starting from day one scratch. You had something business was calling. Kind of not really. Most of it was mostly roadside work. So I was getting the Ajero calls. I was doing the unlocks. Uh, a few, I think maybe two property companies used me twice a month for rekey and some locks. So it was, it was, it was scraps basically. It was enough to keep my beak wet, but definitely not enough to, uh, satiate my my hunger for more so then how did you make it beyond that how did you pay the bills so to speak how, how did you start getting business out of the gate so along with mechanical experience i had a really good knowledge of seo html coding i was going for my cisco networking certification when out of high school and I really didn't understand how to tailor websites for marketing and for appeal. And so I kind of used that when I started developing my business. I wasn't just throwing cards out there. I was looking to see what's in the market, what's being offered, what's not being offered. And I found some, uh, I found some, some plot holes, basically, where I could go in there and say, hey, these areas aren't being covered and these types of services and hours aren't available. So I really just looked to see what was happening, tailored it to make it look good for my, my clients, start out and just hit the ground running. And about how long was that from, you know, final publishing or at least getting it out there to when you started getting calls? Well, if you understand anything about Google and algorithm updates and it's, it changes every few years as 
far as how it's produced and done and, and accumulated. But usually a good website will take about six to eight months to really seed itself for organic ranking. So I kind of had to make things work for the first year, basically. After about the first year, uh, I started to really see you know, the first quarter was 10% increase. Next quarter was 20% increase. And then this kept going up and up and up. And after, you know, 10 plus years about now, it, uh, it's, it's, it's been going good. After about the two year mark, it was, it was a viable business. So from, from the start, was it, was it locksmith hundred percent or were you augmenting it through other means, other jobs, other ventures? It was locksmithing 100%. Chris, uh, Tyler and, and Jeff know you a lot better than I do, but um, is there like one specific area of locksmithing that you kind of dug into to start with, or did you kind of cover the whole gambit? I mean, I know you said that you did unlocks and stuff, but was it mainly automotive or residential or commercial, or did you just jump into everything? So having limited experience, having limited resources and, and, and obviously, limited tools there was definitely a little bit of a gap i wasn't doing automotive at first i wasn't doing commercial really except for some easy reiki stuff so my main powerhouse was all residential that was a really heavy hitter for me residential and after hour service that made up about the after hour service made up about 70 percent of my business for the first two years because all the established guys they close their doors at five they they turn their phones off so there was you know on a on a good day, there was there were between five to ten calls to be had between five o'clock and midnight. Gotcha. What was it? Uh, this is just a little aside question, but what was it like the uh, first time you had to do a fresh install of like a, a door closer or an exit device? Um, I'm a pretty precarious person when it comes to attach myself to something I'm not sure of. So a lot of research, a lot of bouncing ideas and, and knowledge off of people, and say, hey, just knowing that you can look at someone's experience and say, okay, you did something cool. What was the real pitfalls? Oh, I wish I would have used this bit. I wish I would have used this. I wish I would have not done this. And that was really important for me is understanding different materials, different closers, and not everything's always going to be a clean footprint swap. Like, Hey, I got an LC and this, and it's going to be another LC. And that's easy. A maintenance guy can do that. What's the point of being there? Being adaptive, being outside the box. Those are really key components that, you know, you can't train for that. You just have to kind of really have that mindset. I agree completely. Uh, going back, knowing what you know now, it, if you were starting over from scratch day one again, but knowing what you know now, is there anything you would have done differently? I didn't have a van for the first four years of business. And my first van was a Dodge B2500 1997, no heater, no AC. So if you live somewhere where it gets to be zero degrees and somewhere where it gets to be 100 degrees, and it's just, it's not pleasant to drive around with a blanket on you because that's all you can afford at the time. And you're trying to make things work. I would have probably saved up a lot more. I would have probably prepared myself more with more tools, more resources and more training. Cause I am a pretty much self-taught locksmith for, for most definition. Um, I wish I would have probably started out with a bigger range of, uh, of capabilities um, there's still some things I don't do today, like safe and bolt and, uh, SFIC, which is not a matter of knowledge is a matter of, you know, just doing it, but I would probably start out with a, with a wider arsenal. That's pretty cool. Um, is there something that, uh, you enjoy 
more now after 10 years than you did when you first, you know, first started this? The thing that I probably enjoy the most, just from an aesthetic and pleasing standpoint, is probably the really old antique mortise hardware. I really, really enjoy restoring some of that stuff um, compared to, you know, car unlocks. I don't like to do them nearly as much just because it's like a chore compared to like, hey, here's a 1910 craftsman home and the engineer's plaque is next to the door. There's a connection to the hardware. You can clean it. You can, you know, there's, there's a lot of stuff you can do that really makes you feel connected to the job. Whereas an unlock, it's dirty, it's quick, you're in and out. Um, it's just it's just someone that appreciates architecture and art and things like that. That's what I enjoy the most is seeing a hundred year old lock and knowing it's going to work better than anything on the shelf, really. And, and taking a new homeowner and explaining to them how things work and the artistry involved and, and all the cool stuff that goes with it. Very cool. I, I agree. That's the fun part. Yeah, I, I do like taking something that's this old, but still it, it, it will still work with the same TLC. Um, you might have to take it apart and take every single piece and part out of it and clean it, you know, with a rag and whatnot and put it all back together. And you don't always have diagrams for like those old reading mortise locks that are out there or you uh, know, Tim, it's pronounced reading, 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 whatever. Um, <laughs> some of those really old mortise locks out there and uh, you know, you don't have a diagram to put it back together. So you really have to pay attention uh, when you're taking it apart. So yeah, I can agree with that. There's a lot of nuances. I swear to God, if you don't stop fucking saying that, all right, fine. I'll acquiesce. All right. Yeah. Tim, keep this in there. Fuck both of y'all. Up next, Jeff is going to give us some insights to his entrepreneurial endeavors. So, as many people know, locksmithing is a second career for me i was in the it field for a while uh, which started as a hobby and when i was in school uh, and then i learned that people could pay you for that type of stuff uh, i was just doing wiring in my basement and just sort of figuring how things work um, i had a classmate whose parents were doing some remodeling and they wanted some wiring put in and uh, they're still customer to this day uh, through where this the guy uh where the father works through several different places. I still do stuff with them. Um, so I, it, it's never been a full-time thing. I've always just, you know, I guess the kids today would call it a side hustle, uh, but through high school and college and taking care of a lot of the same people, uh, mostly, you know, residential computer repairs, but some small business networking, cabling, uh, things like that. Um, so, you know, I've dealt with suppliers setting, you know, had to set up a separate bank account, things like that. Um, and, you know, I still do you know, maybe one or two small jobs a month. Uh, but when I decided that I didn't like what I was doing anymore, I thought that I might expand that business into locksmithing, you know, because I had done some security camera jobs and things like that. And again, you know, you think because you pick locks and you take stuff apart, well, I could do this. Well, there's a lot more involved and I'm glad that I didn't do that. You know, you have to get insurance and, you know, more equipment, an actual inventory of stuff. And what do you do if you can't figure something out? So I'm glad that I 
made the decision to go work for an established company and learn, you know, the ins and outs of the industry and, you know, with coworkers and a lot of other people that, you know, are always willing to help and know a lot more than I do. So I guess I meant to discuss the first part, but if any of you have started a business, be curious to know, you know, what it was, how you got started besides Chris, because we know you have, you know, you started a locksmith business from scratch. Well, I've never started one, but let me ask this now that I now that you say that and I think about it, Chris, is, was there ever a time because I had this time when I was an apprentice where you were like, what the fuck am I doing? I shouldn't do this. This this I'm over my head. I, I, I need to go back doing something else. Were you ever like, what the fuck am I doing here? So, yes, um, absolutely. There there were a couple instances as I was still kind of raising my lock picking skills to be much better. Um, you'd walk up to house, she'd be like, please don't be a schleg, please don't be a schleg, you know, and that's just what you're that that was like the first six months, the first year-ish, where you know, you don't really know how to pick locks that great. You can shim all day. You're just hoping, please don't be a schleg deadbolt, please don't be, you know, whatever. Um, and I remember tool-wise, I again I wasn't as equipped as I think I should have been, but I was using a harbor freight. 12 volt drill for drilling out, you know, bolts I've ever had to. If you've ever used a 12 volt drill, let alone a Harbor Freight brand uh, 12 volt drill and, and not understanding, you know, how metallurgy works and the types of bits you should be using. So the first year was a lot of growing pains. I remember having a cold chisel, a deadbolt one time and it was 20 below zero outside. And so yeah, you have to really put in work with half the pay it felt like, but there was, yeah, for the first year or two it was just do i want to do this do i want to keep doing this is is it worth it and then you go out and unlock a car you know at 10 o'clock for 150 dollars. like well that's that's you know 10 hours of minimum wage okay we're, we're fine yeah you know when i first got my license and i i wasn't sure like around here most all the locksmiths that i was that, that i was familiar with they had their own little shops their own little you know, territories and, and fiefdoms for lack of a better term. Um, they were either family run and they only hired family members or they were like, Hey, I'll teach you everything. I know if you buy my shop from me, well, shit, I was just getting started. I didn't know, you know, I didn't have that kind of money for one thing coming out of law enforcement. You don't have any money. And, and for two, why am I going to spend, you know, 10, 20, $50,000, to buy a small one-man show, you know, with a truck and some inventory, uh, and, and hopefully, once the check cleared, the guy didn't just up and are you in an OFT, um, you know, that I could just, you know, learn from somebody and be taught on the job. Um, that's kind of the mindset where I was. So I was like, okay, I'm just gonna have to start my own business. And thank God I didn't actually try to do that. I, I probably, well, I, for one, we would not be having this podcast. And for two, uh, I would not have my YouTube channel. I would not, uh, put myself out there on social media ever again, because you learn so much from working with someone. And I, you know, I know that there are some people out there who, who do really great, uh, starting their own business straight off but you kind of have to know your subject matter. And, and I'm going to talk a little bit about that in the next block. But uh, 
yeah, I mean, I'm just really glad that I didn't try to start my own business from scratch. Well, that's why Chris is, is insane. Jeff, keep going. <laughs> so that's really all I had on those two things. Um, same as what Tim said, you know, there's just so much out there that you don't know and trying to do it by yourself would be pretty difficult. Okay, up next, Tim will share why it can behoove you to start out with someone else before going out on your own. Like Jeff said, trying to get into logsmithing from scratch can be a real bitch, even if you know how to pick and rekey. Thankfully, I avoided that pitfall and went to work for a good shop, and now I've learned how a logsmith shop should run. Well, at least if you want to make money and keep your business going. You know, if you've never worked as a logsmith before, you really don't know how to logsmith, and by extension, you really don't know how a locksmith shop should run. Uh, knowing your subject matter and how jobs are done, uh, what in you know what details are involved with doing certain jobs and tasks uh, is very very important. Tyler, uh, you know when when you were working on the road before, or, or even in your your uh, current spot. Um, Knowing the actual hands-on part of what should be done is pretty important when it comes to pricing, right? Yeah. Like making money and, and running your business. Yeah. Being, uh, well, I, uh, the guy that I, well, the first shop I learned with, um, they were real sticklers and pains in the ass as far as getting paid on time. They weren't very good about the rest of it, but that one little lesson stuck with me and whether you're starting from scratch whether you're doing it after the fact learning and becoming a business after you work for somebody and it was like you know that's a good lesson to learn uh being a pain in the ass as far as getting paid and i guess we've we've discussed that with our text messages every day and week about what i'm going through right now and have gone through in the past as far as um yeah making sure you're getting paid and then hassle them if you don't Chris, yeah. you ever, Chris, you ever experienced anything like that? I mean, I, I, I say I text Jeff and, and Tim that, but I'm also texting you and Josh that as well. Yeah, but I mean, this, there's a couple core principles you learn from having crappy bosses and good bosses and crappy coworkers and good coworkers. And, and one, there's one of those principles is like you just said, you have to be aggressive because, you know, it's easy for people just to say, Hey, I got your invoice and they never get back to you or they forget about it or gets kicked up to the ladder or goes to accounting, you know, over corporate 10 states away. Um, you know, I always write my invoices immediately after jobs are done for clients and accounts, just so I don't forget any details, key code information, whatever it's going to be. And yeah, you got to be aggressive. You have to be cordial. There's, there's a, there's a, 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 you know, a very good amount of balancing between being professional and being aggressive, being a dick, but it being polite because you want their, you know, their business, but you have to, your business, you have to get paid. You have, you have your own bills to pay. And that's, and that's something that, you know, you can't just falter on and say, Oh, it's been 45 days. Maybe I'll, you know, I'll, I'll call them. We'll see. Like you have to set boundaries for your customers and you have to make sure they follow them. Absolutely. Uh, 
Jeff, what say you? I mean, you know, there's so much stuff that's done in the background, you know, administratively that, you know, invoicing, accounting, bookkeeping, all that stuff, you know, to have to do all that by yourself, you'd go crazy. Absolutely. And I got to keep the office people happy. You know, that's important. (laughs) Even if you are the office people, you got to keep yourself happy. Yeah. But (laughs) yeah. Yeah. that makes it a lot tougher, you know, if it does. It's just, if it's just you. Yep, absolutely. And so I, I'm kind of segueing into my next point. But, uh, Chris, I've got a question for you. If you had worked for, say, say a good, reputable, uh, busy locksmith shop for, I don't know, a year or two before you went out on your own, how do you think things would have been different in your career um good question i think that would have had more awareness of the different scope of jobs i would be capable of i probably been trained better to handle different uh you know different degrees of, of job difficulty i would probably have more experience and more advanced tools but also at the same time if i don't have the business that that's cool if you can install 15 you know co 100s and and in one day, but if you don't have the clients, it doesn't really matter yet. So, I mean, it's the, the best sailors are proven on rough seas and that's kind of where I was thrust into. So maybe, maybe not having the experience was, was a blessing in disguise for me. It was very much a sink or swim scenario. And I think that if I would have had more of a cushy landing, it probably would have, you know, deterred me from trying as hard. You, you get like 10, uh, three tumblers points because uh, you're the first guest that we've had that have mentioned on their own a CO 100. And that's like my favorite keypad lock to install. So (laughs) awesome. What do you get? What do you get with your points? Uh, Absolutely nothing. The points are made up and the rules don't matter. Um, He he mentions that, but I wonder, uh, you know, we see all these people, you know, Chris, Wayne, other people like that, that have made it and have done pretty well for themselves. But how many people have failed and we don't hear about it? How many people have failed and we don't hear their lessons and learn from that? I mean, you mean the guy who has 12 different businesses, but 10 of them have failed and he doesn't, you know. Yeah, I mean, we we hear the successes, but we don't hear about the failures and what we could glean from that. So we hear what Wayne and what Chris and what Josh and everybody else have have done, but we don't learn the lessons that have doomed others. You know what I mean? Yeah, I I I would love to hear those stories. I mean, honestly, I don't want to bring anybody on to the show uh, that is unwilling, and and certainly if they were willing we would want to do it in a dignified way, but I would love to hear from at least one person who started their own locksmith business and it fell flat after a year or two. Welcome to three tumblers. How's how screwed up is your life? Tell us. About <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. yeah I, I don't think you'll ever get that though, because just the way society is now, as far as humility, but um, yeah, I mean, I mean, as successful people share their secrets, unsuccessful people sharing their secrets, or at least how they got that way, uh, equally important, I guess. Well, as the uh, writer and editor, and I'm sure our executive producer will back me up on this, um, I would like to 
extend an all expenses paid uh, invitation for anybody who has failed in locksmithing, starting their own business to guest on our show. It is free to to join Zoom and and be recorded, but you know, anomaly. We'll, we'll cover it. <laughs> Chris, anything that you have to add, like as far as somebody who, uh, I don't know, is kind of in that in between where they know what they don't know, uh, but they have a good opportunity to work for a good shop. Uh, would you say go for the good shop, or would you say go on your own? So the rewarding portion of being a lone wolf is amazing. The, the successes are yours, but the failures are also yours. You own everything, whether it's the flat tire, it's the ad campaign you left on while you're on vacation and cost you $700, which I haven't done yet, but I've heard stories, um, all the way to you know the client that you forgot about and didn't show up for one day because you were busy with 10 other things. Um, but the best part to me and the most important part is that when you are self-employed or an entrepreneur you are 100 on your own and that is the most character building portion of business ownership i ran into i've worked for people i've managed teams but i've found that the most rewarding thing for me was running my own business cool yeah. i will i will add uh before we close out this block uh I'll add that the second locksmith that I interviewed with uh, is based like 10 minutes up the street from me. And he and I had a phone conversation about 30 minutes long uh, when I was, I was still working full-time police, but I had my date that I needed to be doing something else by. And uh, anyway, he and I talked for like 30 minutes or so. And I said, Hey, um, you know, just to let you know, I put in email to such and such shop and also to this shop. And he said, really? He said, that's the shop that I worked for for 10 years before I started my own business. Wound up having an interview with that shop. I said, that's where I want to go to work. That's where I still work. And uh, the like a few days after I had that interview, I called this guy back and I said, hey, man, you know, I just wanted to give you the courtesy and let you know that I accepted a job at, you know, the shop that you started at. And he said, dude, you're going to learn so much there. You're going to learn a lot more than I could teach you. And uh, you're going to be awesome. And basically, you know, he and my boss and, and I now, um, we all get along really well. If he needs parts that we have, we'll help him out, vice versa. You know, he's really, really great guy. And I think that that's something also to learn is that you can start off somewhere and then after a period of time, you can branch off to your own. Maybe a, a, a happy middle ground there between not risking absolutely everything that you have out the gate, but also having something to look forward to. Well, we've carried on for a while now talking all business, but I'm kind of tired of that. So let's just talk about some random stuff that's happened this week. Between Tyler and I, we have seven spare kids. So I'm sure it'll be a welcome change to just talk about four spare parts. Tyler, you wanna chime in on that? 
I was paying attention to the Russian Civil War, which is apparently done now, so I don't have anything to say. How about you, uh, Mr. Jeff? Got to see one of my good friends from college today. He was in town running sound for a uh, community festival, and when I was there, they had a very uh, dynamic polka band, but they don't just play polka, they do uh, cover songs. They mostly do so polka-style cover songs. It was very interesting, different. Weird Al Yankovic stuff. You kind stole of, it from me, Tyler. Kind of, but I'll have to get the name of the band. It was it was cool. Only in Ohio. How about you, Tim? Uh, just actually got back a few hours ago from the Southern Lodge show down in St. Petersburg, Florida. Uh, great classes. The show was it, it was okay. Uh, wound up with a free sample lock. Yeah, it was it was a good time. Did you get any swag for your fellow? Uh, Patriots. I, I got a little bit. They were actually pretty light on swag this year. It was disappointing. That is disappointing. Locksmiths need free shit. Yeah. I have my uh, hand sanitizer from just cars back in 20, uh, 2018. I just came across the other day. My my swag bag. Um, yeah, I, I still have the bag here of stuff from Aloha last year. It's always either the hot, dry city or the hot, wet city in the summer. I myself, uh, I uh, dealt with a, a customer who was power of attorney over property and they were looking to liquidate a bunch of stuff and i came home with some of the sweetest vinyl records this side of the mississippi today i i saw them and i'm trying to buy them from them <laughs> tyler i showed you my original uh collection of sticks and acdc and led zeppelin vinyl he's Chris, got all that he's got foreigner he's got journey he's chris got... we'll have to get a separate uh have to get a picture of what you got I'm telling you, man, some of the, and these are all in their original uh, packaging with the protective sleeves and some of them with a stickler, but now they're dead. So, you know, congrats to me. So it's summertime. What's the big plan here? Are you guys just going to mosey on through the season? Are you guys got any big, uh, big things coming up here? Well, as of right now, um, since I'm the uh, editor, I have to say that I am halfway through the callbacks episode as far as editing right now that will come out three episodes prior to this one so we're covered for like the next month or so but we i think we plan on recording when we can yeah uh, i mean i'm I, i'm not going anywhere this summer i don't like to leave my house so it's it works well also the lake the weather's been so weird here it's going to take like another six months for the lake to warm up so it'll probably be like next month before I go out on the boat. So, yeah, I'll be around. Welcome to my world. It's It can be 90 degrees outside, but the lakes are not sustainably warm until probably August. So for <laughs> the month of August, and they get cold again. As always, if you have any hate mail or love letters for us, write them on the back of a $20 bill and email it to the 3 tumblerspod at gmail.com. That is three spelled out, so V-T-H-R-E-E-TumblersPod at gmail.com. Or tag us on Twitter, which we've recently gotten very active on, at 3TumblersPod. In this case, three is the number three, so at three, number three, TumblersPod. Executive producer, that's me, Tyler J. Thomas. Technical producer is Jeff Moss. Writer and editor is Tim Coleman, back from Florida. Welcome back. Glad you didn't die. Guest host today was uh, Christoph Stetler. Our bean counter, Ed Amemay. Love that. Chief, <laughs> Chief accountant is Candace B. Rittenhoff. 
guest accommodations provided by Horseshoe Road Inn. The Horseshoe Road Inn. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck you and the Horseshoe Road Inn on. And our chief legal counsel is Hugh Lewis Dewey of Dewey Cheatham and Howe, otherwise known to entrepreneurs everywhere as Huey Louie Dewey. Eat more cheese. Lockjaw Manufacturing. Oh, we didn't give him a shout out. Chris, go ahead and do it real quick. Hmm. Lockjaw Manufacturing, LockjawMFG.com. Shameless plug, here we go. Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. It's all taken by us, LockjawMFG. Accessory, gear, some tools, stickers, apparel. You like locks, we love you. Locks for lock pickers, lock enthusiasts, hobbyists, and just cool people. Check us out. I'm Florida Man. He's Florida Man. This has been a Three Tellers production, season one, copyright 2023, all rights reserved. Find this episode and others wherever you get your podcasts. Since since when did we actually just stick with three words for the final three words? That was just a suggestion. Sometimes. Rip. Oh, I'm jelly. Florida man. Robocop.